You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. So we asked you last week, those of you who were watching our live stream, if you would send us pictures of how you were worshiping and how you were taking in um, community and, and the stream that we did last week. And so a number of you responded and sent us your pictures, and I just want to show you just some of how you were gathering to worship last week. You can notice in the left-hand corner there that here's one of our community groups. And again, we encourage you to gather as a group to watch and worship together on Sundays. Now, we want to be respectful of the restrictions that have reasonably been placed upon us, so not more than 10 of you, but if you're comfortable in gathering together as a grace group or as a, a, a family or as a group together of friends, then by all means, we encourage you to do that. And you'll notice one of our younger worshipers there in the right-hand corner, what a cute baby. And we have some of the cutest babies here at Grace in East County. Just ask any of our parents or grandparents, right? And all the grandparents and parents said, amen. But not just groups and individuals are, are watching our live stream. So are our pets, dogs, cats, whoever. And of course, we have another worshiper there right in the middle. And some of you have chosen to, to worship in your PJs on a Sunday morning. Man, that's great. We think that's terrific. However you choose to worship, we're so glad that you're with us. And we're so glad that you are choosing to worship with us this morning. In fact, we want to encourage you again. Send us your pictures of you, your family, your friends, your group, even your pets if you so want to, with how you're worshiping and watching the live stream. And we'll want to post more of those because we love the fact that we are gathered as a community and as a church family. And if you're still continuing to sign on or have just recently joined our Facebook or YouTube feed, let us know that you're here, especially via Facebook. Check in, let us know. We want to welcome you. And again, we're so glad that you're here with us. But now let's get back to Galatians. So if you're new to this study through the book of Galatians, what really is the focus of this amazing letter that Paul wrote to this church, to this group of Jesus followers, is that he was trying to correct some false teaching that had infiltrated the church and the community. There were folks who were coming in who were teaching and telling them things that were not leading them to God. They were actually leading them away from God. And so we enter this letter once again where Paul is trying to make a case for them to be able to understand what it truly means to, to know God. What does it mean to be in the know with God. And so with that in mind, we're going to take a look at this passage. And I'm going to grab my Bible and read this aloud. And if you have a Bible, please open to Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. And we'll put it up on the screens behind me. And it's only three verses, but it is a loaded three verses for us to look at here this morning. It says this, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who were by nature not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? 
You were observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. And that is such strong language, but it's necessary language. Because one of the most fundamental, one of the most important things for us to get our hands around and for us to understand in this life and for the life to come is what it means to be in the know when it comes to God. Because the Apostle Paul will very deliberately use this wordplay of knowing to make a very fundamental, very important point. And we begin to see that point in this very first verse where it says, formerly you did not know God, but were slaves to those who are by nature not gods. Now, if you were with us last week with our live stream, Sean Rowley went into great detail and did a fantastic job of helping us understand this concept of, of slavery and especially spiritual slavery. And basically at the heart of this is the reality that all of us start out in the same place. All of us are enslaved to brokenness and selfishness, what the Bible calls sin, apart from a right relationship with God through knowing his son, Jesus Christ. And Sean very clearly explained all that last week, and I encourage you to go back and look at that. Or if you'd like to jump back just a a couple of books in the New Testament to Romans chapter 6, In that letter, that chapter very beautifully and powerfully and simply describes this whole idea, this whole reality of what it means to be a slave to sin. But with that being said, the reality of sin is that it does enslave us. And Paul is pointing out the past that they have come out of because their past sin did enslave them. And it really begs the question of you and me, What was your past like before you came to know God through a relationship with Jesus Christ? Many of you know my story, but I chose to receive Jesus Christ into my life when I was a high school student. And I wasn't self-aware enough or mature enough to really understand what was enslaving me in regards to my sin at that point in my life. But it was people-pleasing. It was so important to me to be popular, to have the right friends, to be seen with the right friends, to perform well at the right sports, to have grades that were good grades, to be liked, to be concerned about what other people thought about me. That was was hugely, hugely important to me. And I was actually a slave to it. Didn't know it really at the time, but it really was reflective of my life. What people thought about me mattered way more to me than it ever should. And we live in a day and age where so much of our lives is online. And through this online experience, we're able to connect wonderfully in worship and in community. But it also opens up the avenue for all sorts of people to have some kind of commentary or feedback about your life. And how many of us are so concerned about whatever the people are posting about us or saying about us or think about us or writing about us? It's so easy, by way of example, for people-pleasing to become something that enslaves us, that has too much influence, too much power over us. And at that point in my life, 
people's approval really did rule my life. It enslaved me. So is there something that is currently enslaving you? Because Paul reminds them of the slavery they left behind. But now it's like they're entering into a new kind of slavery. And he begins to explain what that really means by this next verse. He uses this wordplay of knowing God or rather are known by God. And he's not changing directions and not reversing himself. He's, he's saying this actually very deliberately where he says, but now that you know God or rather are known by God. And you know, it, it begs the question again, what's he talking about here? And what's really important for us to understand is that in the Bible, when it talks about knowing someone, especially in this context, it's talking about relationship a close, intimate relationship. By way of example, when Mary finds out that she is going to be overcome by the Holy Spirit, that she is going to give birth eventually to Jesus, to the Messiah, and the angel is announcing this news to her. For those of you who know that part of your Bibles, know that story, do you remember what she said? She said, how's this gonna work? I've never known a man. And what she's saying there is, I've never had sexual intimacy with a man. But this type of intimacy is a whole person intimacy. This is more than just sex. This can also be about smiles. And let me explain myself. I know my wife, Jamie. And I know her smiles. She has a smile just for our kids. She has a smile when she's happy. She has a smile for our pets. And thankfully, I have a different smile than that. She has a smile just for me. I only see that smile for me. How would I know that about my wife? You most certainly don't know that about my wife. It's because I know her in the deepest type of human relationship. She's my wife. And that is the depth of intimacy that Paul is talking about here. That's what it means to, to know God, to have a personal, intimate relationship with him. And then he reminds them of this incredible reality that is true for you and me. God knows us. And again, we need to think about that for a minute. What does it really mean that God knows us? Because this begins to go to the heart of the gospel. Because if God knows us that intimately, then it means he knows not only all the good things about me, he knows my sinfulness, my selfishness, my brokenness, my shame, my guilt, the things I wouldn't want anyone to know about me, and he still loves me. That, my friends, is called grace. God's unmerited, unearned love for the sake of relationship and for the sake of empowerment to serve him and others. To be known by God is incredible because as John helped us see last week once again, it means we're accepted. Not because of who we are. It, we're accepted in spite of who we are. God knows everything and yet he unconditionally still loves us. And that is so amazing and so significant for us 
And this really begins to capture the heart of the gospel. Because as you and I begin to read other parts of our Bible, we're gonna see this reality of knowing God over and over again. Just consider some of these verses with me. He will go on to say this. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It's one of my most favorite verses in the Bible because it is the heart of the gospel, knowing God because God in turn knows us. In fact, in Matthew, Jesus himself will say this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many of you will say to me on that day, and he's talking about the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, listen to this, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. And a verse that really brings this, this reality of us being able to know God in this intimate relationship and God knowing us in an intimate relationship is 1 Corinthians 8.3. I've decided to memorize this verse. It's short, which will make it easy to memorize, but it is powerful. Whoever loves God is known by God. How incredible. Do you realize this means salvation is not about what you know? It is about who you know, which absolutely begs the most important question you will ever answer in your life. And that is, do you know God? Because I know with the reach of this online streaming service, there are probably a number of you who aren't sure that you know God. Or, in a moment of honesty, you're saying to yourself, yeah, I, I don't know God, not like what we're talking about here. And so I want to very deliberately stop and give you the opportunity to enter into a life-changing relationship with the one true God. The reason you are concluding that you don't know this God is because he is working on your heart through his Holy Spirit and he's helping you understand exactly what you need to do and that is you need to know him by receiving him into your life. So I'm gonna stop right now and I'm gonna pray for you. You don't have to pray these words exactly after me. What matters most is the attitude of your heart, your sincerity. And if you invite this amazing God into your life, through knowing his son, Jesus Christ, and therefore knowing him, your life will change. I want to stop and lead you in that prayer right now. God, I pray for those who are watching and listening to this, that anyone who does not know you or who questions whether they know you, that they would choose to know you right now by receiving you into their lives. Would you just between you and God say, Lord, I want to know you. Will you come into my life? Thank you that you love me and that you will never leave me. In Jesus' name, amen. And so as we go back to our passage here, we, we see this reality that the Galatians do, they do know God, 
When he says rather there, he's, he's really making a point to emphasize that they know God because in the previous chapter, he said they've already clothed themselves with Christ, which is just another way of describing that really close, intimate relationship they have. But they are beginning to walk away from the blessings that they can have in their life through a right relationship with God because they're, they're buying into something that's actually going to enslave them. And there's a reality here that is so important for us to understand. And that's this reality of idolatry. You see, being in the know is about knowing God and him knowing you, but it's also recognizing that idols can be anything and everywhere. Idols are more than just little figurines, human-made things that represent what people thought were gods, but were actually false gods. Idols can also be good things that we make into ultimate things. In fact, the great church father, John Calvin, said the human heart, because of our sinfulness and selfishness and brokenness apart from Christ, is an idol-making factory. And even when we know Jesus, even when he has come into our lives, even when we know God and he's given us a new heart, we still can go back to our past and go back to idols. And therefore, it's a constant battle that we, that we have to fight. Think about this reality of taking a good thing and making it the ultimate thing. And let's think about where we're at right now. What is it that COVID-19 has exposed in our lives? Good things that quite possibly have taken on too much importance or become too important to us? And yes, all of this against the backdrop of this is serious, there's legitimate concern, there's legitimate fears, but think about this with me. What's being threatened right now by this virus? Our health? Our economy? Our jobs? In fact, there are are a number of you who have lost your jobs or are in the process of that. Your hours are being cut back. Our, our sense of comfort, the reality of our security. Those of you who are retired and concerned about the resources now that you're going to have with what the stock market's doing, I mean, you fill in the blank. All those are good things and necessary things. But for how many of us, and boy, this is a tough question, for how many of us have those things become ultimate things? And now that's being exposed. We've put too much of our hope, too much of our security, too much of our confidence in those things. And that's what idolatry tempts us to do, to take a good thing and to make it an ultimate thing. I ran into someone from our church family at the store this last week. And as we were talking, he said, you know, I feel like we're kind of being exposed here. He said, in my own life especially, all these things that were sources of security for me that I took for granted, that were expectations that I had, I'm realizing many of them were way too important to me. And basically what he was saying was those things, without really me knowing it, had become an idol in my life. And idolatry is like that. We can be so blind to it. But it's not just about taking a good thing and making it the ultimate thing or an ultimate thing in our life. 
it also has other looks to it. And we see those in this very passage. License and legalism are also forms of idolatry. And Paul makes an amazing statement in these verses that we're looking at. In fact, he's made amazing statements all throughout this letter, and this is another one. He basically says that idolatry and legalism are just as empty and equally lead us not to God, but away from God. And this would have been hard for some of the Galatians to hear because they were religious folks. They thought they were doing the right thing. And ironically, they were returning to following the law of Moses from the Old Testament when that law had always been intended to point them and to prepare them for the Messiah, for Jesus Christ, for when he would come one day. And then when he came, the law would be fulfilled. And so they initially understood and knew this. They entered into right relationship with God by believing in Jesus Christ. And then they began to go back to the law and to elevate the law to a place that it was never intended to be. And legalism has many different looks, but this is, this is the vibe of legalism. What legalism basically does is we put God on the hook to owe us by what we say, by what we do, by how we act. It looks like this. Well, God has to love me because I follow the rules. I adhere to these rituals. I do these good religious things. And this pride begins to develop. And unknowingly oftentimes, because oftentimes we're blind to legalism, we begin to get this sense that, well, God owes me. I mean, look at all these things I'm doing. Look how I'm living. And that begins to become a source of pride for us. And where that really begins to show itself is we begin to divide the world into us and them. There's the good people and there's the bad people. And that's where legalism goes. It makes us prideful before God. It makes us prideful with other people. You know anyone like that? But let's talk about the other extreme. The other extreme is license. And honestly, I think this is far more prevalent in our culture than legalism is. But license says, hey, I'm going to decide what's right or wrong. Thank you very much. I will pick and choose with what I think I should do and not do. And ultimately, what we're saying when we say that is, I'm going to do what's best for me. And what that really translates to ultimately is selfishness. It makes us very selfish people when we live life that way. Do you know anyone like that? Life is all about them on their terms, their way. That also is a form of idolatry. And that one goes all the way back to the beginning, to Adam and Eve. When Satan first tempted Adam and Eve, what did he say? You decide for yourselves what's right or wrong. You decide what's best. Life is on your terms. And the common denominator between legalism and license is in both cases, you're trying to be your own savior. And that's the basic message of this broken world around us. You are your own savior, but that is not the path to life. And that is why Paul is so frustrated with the Galatians, is that is what they're pursuing. They actually, many of them came out of a life of license when they were pagans, when they didn't know God, when they were living incredibly broken lives. And then 
once they knew God, now they're in even worse shape than they were because now they're choosing legalism over a right relationship with God, over freedom through knowing God. And they're going from bad to bad and worse to worse. And Paul can't believe they're doing it. In fact, he's so frustrated with them, he says, have I wasted my efforts on you? Have I wasted the word of God on you? Could that be true for you and me? Are you going back to a broken past that Jesus Christ has freed you from? Are you going back to something that wants to enslave you? Because the reality is you don't have to live that way and neither do I. You see, in my case with people-pleasing, because I know God loves me, because I know God approves of me, because I know that God sees me in all my brokenness, all my selfishness, all my inadequacies, and he still loves me. You know what that is? That is an insulator against people-pleasing. Because if God approves of me, then what other people think of me doesn't quite matter as much. And that can be put in its proper place. And that's what God's word does for us. It not only gives us perspective, it reminds us of who we really are and what our true identity is. Because my friends, a reality that's swimming around in these verses is a reality that's taught all through scripture and it's a reality we sometimes forget. And it's this reality that we are in the middle of an unseen war. There is a spiritual war that is constantly raging. Who do you think stands behind the miserable forces, the miserable principles of evil that Paul is talking about here. All these things that try to lead us away and take us away from a right relationship with God or to blind us to a right relationship with God. Who stands behind all that? Well, we have an adversary. We have an enemy, and his name is Satan. And he has created those counterfeits. He has created those things and stands behind those things that lead us away from God. Now, as soon as I said that, we absolutely need to talk about the extremes that we can go to. Some of us immediately go to this extreme of the old Saturday Night Live church lady of everything is, could it be Satan? Well, no, we're not saying that. Others of us, though, go to the other extreme where we ignore this reality altogether. In our culture, we have this scientific naturalism, this bent that says, if you can't validate it, if you can't prove it, if you can't replicate it, then it must not be true. And it completely discounts spiritual realities. Yet, reality is that we are in the middle of an unseen war. And minimizing or denying or ignoring that reality doesn't make you sophisticated it makes you spiritually naive and blind to what's really going on in your life. And one of the enemy's favorite weapons is fear. He loves to work through fear. Are you afraid this morning? Many of us are. I am about some things. 
and with good reason. There are legitimate things to be concerned about. Our health, our economy, taking care of our families, those who are losing jobs. You know, again, we could go on and on and, and fill in the blank. But those are, those are realities that we're having to do battle with. And yes, those are things to be concerned about. And yes, some of those fears are very much legitimate. By way of example, I have an 81-year-old mother with compromised health. And I am fearful of her contracting this virus. And I am fearful of the possibility of losing two parents in one year. Those are legitimate fears. But we need to do business with this for a minute. And I talked about this in the sermon preview that I uploaded earlier this week. We are very deliberately going to take on and steer into this reality of fear, not just now for a few minutes, but in the next four weeks as we gear up for and prepare for Easter. And I'm very much thinking about Easter. I'm very much preparing that sermon. And what is interesting to me, actually I've never recognized it before, is there is so much fear in the Easter story. There is fear surrounding Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem that Palm Sunday thousands of years ago. There is great fear around his crucifixion, which we will remember together on Good Friday. And there is tremendous fear on the morning that he was resurrected. In fact, I encourage you to go to Matthew 28 and read just the first 15 verses of that chapter because that's where we're gonna go for Easter. And every single person in that story is afraid, all of them, every single one of them. And yet how they respond to that fear is so profoundly significant. And that's what we'll look at on Easter, which now brings us to the here and now. Do we have legitimate fears? Yeah. Yeah, we do. In Scripture, it was pointed out last weekend, and rightfully so, that there are literally hundreds of verses that say, do not fear, don't be afraid, do not fear. It is the most repeated command in all of the Bible, Old Testament to New. But what does that really mean? Does that mean we don't experience fear? Does that mean we never feel fear? I don't believe that's what those commands mean. You see, faith is not the absence of fear. It is what you do in the face of it. If you look at the example of Scripture, Old Testament to New Testament, you see countless countless examples of men and women of God who were afraid, and yet who chose faith in the face of that fear. And our ultimate example, and I talked about this in my sermon preview on Facebook earlier this week, is Jesus. In Matthew 22, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, virtually no one denies by what is described there, that he was afraid. And yet he chose to trust and obey God in the face of that fear. He is our ultimate example of faith in the face of fear. Faith, not the absence of fear, doesn't mean you don't experience fear. It means you don't let fear dictate or drive or determine or control how you respond to God. 
It means you trust and obey God even when you're afraid, even when it doesn't make sense, even when you don't really know what to do. You choose to trust and obey God anyway. And through his Holy Spirit, he empowers you and gives you the ability to do that. We need God's word. More than ever in this season, we need the perspective of God's word. And we need the perspective and the input of us as a community. There's something that was sent to me by one of our team earlier this week. It was a post on Facebook. And this was from a a Jesus follower in Taiwan, of all places. And I'd like you to read to you, I'd like to read to you what she says. And this is some very necessary perspective as we think about what God's word has taught us today and as we face into our fears. It says this, Hey everyone, I just wanted to say that it'll get better. We live in Taiwan. We went through the 30-day shutdown in late January through February. No schools, and it was a ghost town. Didn't leave my house, ever. I know it makes you feel anxious, fearful, worried, like you were on the set of an outbreak movie. But trust me, these are natural human responses. Just don't say stuck there. Trust God and trust the process. 30-day shutdowns work. Quarantine and hygiene, it actually works. Taiwan only had 47 cases in total and only one death, and all 46 people fully recovered and no new live cases. Shut down quarantines and social distancings actually do work. Life will get better and resume. It may not go back to the way things were for a while, but on the other side of this are better days. Be encouraged. Know that God never sleeps, according to Psalm 121, so that you can. So look at the shutdown as a staycation. Hang out with your kids. Binge watch movies. Make your favorite recipes. Maybe God wanted to get our attention to focus on what matters and on who really matters. Two days or 30 days, it'll go by. So pray, meditate, stay in your homes, Stay calm and wash your hands and pray for those who still have to go out and serve. My husband had to go to work every day during the shutdown and lead. It was scary, but again, I promise there are better days. Be encouraged. Would you pray with me? God, thank you that you are the God who comes to us in our fear. You strengthen us You enable us to trust and obey you. And Lord, as you do so, I pray for us that we would not settle for idols. We would not elevate good things to be ultimate things, but instead we would choose to trust and follow and obey and love you because you promise to bless us. You promise to never leave us. You promise to never forsake us. Thank you, God, that you are so good to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. He is the miracle worker. He is the way maker. That is exactly who he is. And if you made that choice in our worship time this morning to know this God, 
to receive him into your life, we would love to celebrate that with you. We would love to help you begin to grow in this new relationship. If you will send us by way of prayer request that information, just let us know. We would love to pray for you. And to that end, if you will go to that link at the bottom of our website and let us know how we can pray for you in any way, we want to do that because you are not alone. We are a community and we are family together. Because Jesus himself said in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He is truly the one who gives us life. And it has been such a sweet time of family and community and worship here this morning. We will continue to reach out to you and to connect with you throughout the week. And we look forward to seeing you back here at 1045 next Sunday. Let me pray God's blessing over us now. God, thank you for this sweet time of worship that we've had. Thank you for the power and the perspective and the hope that your word gives us. Lord, thank you that you are near to us. You promise to never leave or forsake us. You always do exactly what you say you will do because you are the way maker. You are the miracle worker. You are exactly who you say you are. And you call us out of darkness into light and adopt us into your families, your sons and daughters. Would we remember that? And when we are afraid, would we choose faith in the face of that fear? And thank you that you give us the ability to do so through Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. And God's people said, amen. And we'll look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.